It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello and welcome to episode 21 of Utabia Podcast. I am your host, Raj Baines. Such a big number, that isn't it? 21. Yeah. <laughs> and joining me back in the office is Rory Benton. Rory, how are you? Very well, thank you. Had how was your decent holiday? Weekend. Yeah. Uh, yeah, nice holiday as well. Yeah, decent weekend. Yeah, not, not Just too a quiet bad. one. Um, apologies for not doing a podcast to the end of last week. Rory wasn't in the office and just feels a bit sad when it's not us two doing it, doesn't it? So yeah. um, we thought we'd wait until you were back in. I heard you tried to record it but broke down in tears quite a lot of the time. So uh, We don't bring it up, it was an emotional <laughs> time. Um, most people want us to start with the good stuff, but given we missed a show in a week when not, so buckle in, we're going to talk about the Swansea game. Oh. Um, let's get this over with. Yeah, let's get it over with fairly quickly. What happened? Uh-huh. Um, I'm not really sure to be honest it was just uh, one of those days and I, I, to be honest it's not something that we're unaccustomed to because I think last year there was a few games like that which town just didn't really turn up for but and, it, and I think alarm bells were sort of ringing at that point because you're thinking oh well you know is, is the the honeymoon period going into the Premier League going to be over but obviously what happened the week afterwards uh sort of proves that wrong and, and prove that town do deserve to be in the Premier League. It was strange given how poor Swansea are that Huddersfield just didn't appear to have the right attitude. Was it is it a case of them assuming the game was going to be easier than it was or is it just a case of them not turning up? And if so, how do you attribute that? Because attitude has never been a problem under David Wagner. Yeah, and that's... That's what I would highlight. I don't think you can say it's it's an attitude issue. I think what the town players have shown, the ones that have stayed from last season and the ones that have come in, I think they've shown that their attitude is top draw. I think they've shown that they are humble, they know where they come from and they will put 100% effort in every game. Sometimes it just doesn't click. That's just how football works. Um, and especially sort of in recent seasons, it's been weirdly unpredictable. Um, in pretty much every division of English football. So I think it was just one of those games which you can put down to it being a slight... You know, just just a day that town didn't turn up for. I don't know why that is. I think, you know, I think Danny Williams was a big miss, to be perfectly honest. I thought against Man United he was absolutely exceptional. He drives the midfield really well. Um, and it just, it just didn't work somehow at, at Swansea and then... As I said, it's one of those that you write off as soon as it happens and you get back out there next week. Did Swansea do anything especially different to kind of nullify what Huddersfield were doing? Did they change their shape? Was there new players brought in? I thought the, the high press was really good. I was I was impressed with Swansea in terms of them You were impressed with the press? With the press, yeah, because most... Obviously, it's a, it's a Huddersfield Town trait that they push teams high up the field. They want to win the ball back in the opposition third and counter quickly, and the transition's very, very quick. They were just sort of played at their own game at Swansea a little bit, and 
Jordan Ayew, who, who you highlighted actually before the game. We had this discussion and I, I pretty much wrote him off and that shows me what I know, to be fair. But he, he was pushing up high. Tammy Abraham was always sort of, you know, sniffing for, around for that goal. He's in the box. Um, so, yeah. They scored at really good times as well, just before and just after half-time. Yeah, sort of. yeah. It was what they deserved as well, to be honest, because they could have scored multiple times in the first half before the first goal actually went in. Um so yeah, I just think that they they pushed high and Town didn't turn up particularly. So that was you know a cocktail for sort of disaster, really, wasn't it? Um, Tammy Abraham yeah. scored twice against Huddersfield last season for Bristol. We mentioned it previously on the show before the Swansea game. Scored twice in this game. What is it about his movement and his style of attacking that seems to work well against Huddersfield? Because the defence has changed a little bit, but three quarters of it exactly the same. The goalkeeper's changed, which we'll come on to in the Swansea game. But um, is there anything he does specifically? Is there something we should be worried about with that specific type of in-the-box poaching style of striker that maybe Huddersfield don't cope with as well as they should? I think what you'd have to say is that he is a poacher. He's always around the goal and he's, he's looking to score. That's you know That's his game. Um, I wouldn't say it's anything particularly in the tactics of Huddersfield Town which sort of leave them open to that sort of player I just think if you look at the Swansea game and the Bristol City game from last season it was individual errors both times which cost them so I think I think you just put it down to those individual errors you don't say oh tactically we're you know we don't pick pick up men in the area because town do do that they defensively they're very solid so i would say it, it is just those individual errors and you know if you do make individual errors you you allow someone to get around you there's always going to be that poacher in the box to, to stick it in the back of the net speaking about individual errors if we come on to Jonas Lossel um there are a couple of sketchy moments against Tottenham where he held onto the ball longer than he should have done um dodgy kick out that led to the the Kane goal that Christopher Love has taken some responsibility for as well with his failure to head the ball away. What do you make of his mistake in that game? Because it it really did cost Huddersfield at the worst possible time. It, there's really no excuse for it. No, it was a shocker, and I think he he will as well admit that it was it was a shocker. He cost his team a goal, and you know away at Swansea, you've then got your backs to the wall because the, the crowd were really behind them as well. So. But it's one of those things, as a goalkeeper, you're going to have moments like that. Even the best goalkeepers in the world, like David De Gea, was very questionable for his first season in, in Manchester. Hugo Lloris has not had a great time of it at the minute. Like Every keeper makes mistakes. The problem is, when you're a keeper, that mistake is highlighted tenfold, especially if it goes in. Is there any extra worry surrounded Lossal World, given that we heard a lot about these types of mistakes from Bundesliga experts? And obviously, in the first few weeks of the season, when he was... You know, single-handedly winning points for Huddersfield and doing really well in pressure situations that seemed to be far-fetched, but borne out in the past couple of games, meaning Swansea and Tottenham, those errors and that type of mistake seem to come into reality much more than they had been previously. I wouldn't be worried personally, just because I think the mistakes that he's made. Are- I think he's so confident with his feet. He backs himself to like beat someone or or be able to pick up pick out a pass. I think the errors have come from maybe slight overconfidence. Um, but then you saw at Manchester United, it was very much a sort of back to basics approach by by David Wagner in terms of not only Jonas Lursel but the defence. In that when they were under pressure, 
they were much more willing to to just get rid of the ball and clear it upfield. I feel like that has to become a set sort of go-to for town. Obviously, they want to play out from the back, and that you don't want to just leave that philosophy massively. But if there's a player running towards you, you've just got to hoof it sometimes. David Wagner obviously said, being Manchester United, don't give them any options, so just get rid. I think you have to do that a bit more in the Premier League than maybe you have to do in the Bundesliga because of the the tempo that teams play at and the pressure that you get put under as a goalkeeper or a defender. One of the other disappointing things from the game was that Philip Billing went off injured and he's had a very strong start to the season, I think, more than most would have expected. Um, He looked as if he was really starting to carve out a place within himself in the team, especially with Danny Williams being injured. He sort of, you know, taken that opportunity with both hands. He's out for three months, they're saying. Um, They've not decided if there's going to be surgery yet, have they? No, they haven't, no. On his ankle it is, isn't it? But they haven't said anything about it. They're they're still waiting. They're getting another expert opinion before the surgery. Uh, He's going to be a a miss, obviously. We'll come on to how well Towns midfield has fared since, but... He, as we've said numerous times, he offered something unique and what he does with the ball and how he does it with the ball is is unlike any other midfielder that, that Town have, so it's going to be a shame to be without him until the new year now, likely. Yeah, I think I, I would agree with that. I would also say that every one of Town's midfielders offers something different. Anyone that can play in that central midfield role brings their own sort of style and their own abilities to it. Uh, Danny Williams, personally, is is one that stood out for me this season. I think they town missed him when he uh, came off injured against Leicester in, in in that period between Leicester and the Manchester United game. He w- he was a big miss because he drives the team forward. He carries the ball really well, and I think as you said on a previous podcast, he's very direct in his running. Um, not afraid to put a tackle in at all, and not afraid to put his body around. But yeah, Bill- Billing's going to be a massive miss, and it's just it's a shame to see any young player go down with an injury. Um, especially one with, with the talent that Phil Billing has uh, and the season that he has having, as he said, because he, he, he looks confident on the ball. He looks like he, he's at home in the Premier League. Um, so hopefully they can you know, decide whether to do the surgery quickly and then he can get back from, from there. Hopefully it's within the three months. What was the reaction in the press after the game like from David and the players? Because it's something on the day that, you know, it's quite unique to the managers that he's not one to hide his feelings. He's he's not going to sugarcoat a bad result and come out and say it was brilliant or anything like that. He's he's very honest, and I think that's something that the fans appreciate, and I think as journalists we appreciate as well because we don't have to write about somebody essentially lying to his faces and trying mm. to pass off a bad performance as a good one. What was his mood like in the press conference, and was that reflected in the players as well? I think in the press conference after the game, he was. He was very much saying, to use a very old football cliche, it was a game of two halves. Town had a terrible first half and came back into it in the second half, which they did. I still think they were probably, they probably got about, they were probably just underneath Swansea standard in the second half, but in the first half they were way, way down. Um, So he kind of accepted it. He understood that his players hadn't played well enough in the first half. I think they were lucky to get in at half-time at 1-0. And in a way, because they were 1-0 down and they played so badly, you were kind of expecting Town to get something from the game because David Wagner, at half-time, he wouldn't allow his players to play another half like that. So you knew there was going to be a reaction. There was a reaction, and it was a good reaction. The problem is Swansea scored pretty much immediately, and the game was effectively over after that. 
Um, Swansea shut up shop and, and Town really couldn't break them down and Swansea were hitting on the counter-attack as well. So David Wagner's very honest. I, I think he, he sort of said that they didn't deserve anything out of the game. Swansea were better for the large majorities of the game. And, you know, you, you move on to Manchester United next week, which on paper looks like a very, very tough game. <laughs> um, actually, it was quite easy in the end, wasn't it? Um, in terms of chance creation, this was one of the games in which Huddersfield failed to score, and then that was becoming a worry with Steve Mounier injured. And I think, especially against the defence like Swansea's, he may have been of use, uh, especially with his ability in the air and extra bit of speed getting in behind. It could have been an extra dimension that uh, Laurent Departure maybe doesn't have. I mean, he works his socks off and runs his blood to water, but they are different types of strikers at the end of the day, even if it's not as different as we had previously assumed it would be. Um, there was one sort of really guilt-edged chance for Tom Ince, but other than that, was there anything that Huddersfield could really hang their hat on and say that we should have scored that? Not really in terms of chances, to be honest. I don't think Lauren Departure had a sight of goal most of the day. Um, Tom Ince, yeah, definitely should have scored it at the bar, I think. What have you made of Ince in the final third? Because he's excellent carrying the ball. He's defensively, he's he's mucking in and he's doing the sort of work that perhaps people had feared he wouldn't when he was first announced as a signing. And those rumours have started. If anything, it's the things that people are taking for granted: the goal scoring and the assisting and the final product that just haven't clicked yet for him. Yeah, I, w- I would say I would agree with that. It, it hasn't clicked for him so far in the preseason. He looked like he could do everything, though. That's what I would say. That the ability is definitely there, and the final product is there, but we just haven't seen it in a competitive match yet, unfortunately. Um, I, f- I just I feel like he just needs time. I think his confidence is going to be growing every every week, especially after the win at United. Um, and it's something that I'm not too worried about because he has shown it in the past. He's shown it for for Derby. He's shown it for uh, for Huddersfield Town in the preseason, and it's one of those things that. People might say, oh, the jump from championship level to, to Premier League level is big and, and you know, sometimes you don't hack it in in the top tier compared to the second tier. I would say your final product doesn't matter because he's still finding the space to put that final product in, whether it be a shot or a cross. It's just not quite gone right for him yet. So I think when his confidence gets up a bit, we should see him providing the sort of assistance, the sort of goals that... That he, he he did at uh, Derby, maybe not on the same scale because obviously at Derby he was their top scorer and that kind of thing, um, and I think he played in more of a central role. But hopefully, I, I'm not worried about it at all. Hopefully, he'll come good in in the next few weeks. Now that we've got, sorry, just just as well to add to that, Go on. not to say that he's not played well already because at Manchester United that was probably the best game I've seen him play in a town shirt. Um, but hopefully, in the next few weeks, he'll add the final product and the goals and, and assists. We can move past the Swansea game now and into the present. Yes. Um, we'll skip over last week and the press conference and everything. Every it was pretty no, much we as just you want to talk about this. Saturday afternoon, Manchester United at the John Smiths. One of those games that you sort of look forward to as a promoted side, and um, I think the crowd were obviously up for it. The away fans, for ten minutes at least, <laughs> were in good voice. Um, but most people had assumed undefeated Manchester United, even though they're not playing the the greatest football in the world. Or without Pog Pogba, who's clearly their best player, um, and clearly the hub of their creative department, if you will, um, they were still going to put in one of those Mourinho type performances where everyone sits there bored for ninety minutes, and somehow Manchester United win two 0 
Huddersfield had other ideas. They did. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. It, I, I think everyone expected. The, I think the weight of the weight of expectation was just so much taken off town that they could just go out there and play. You know, beforehand, I was probably thinking maybe four nil, four one would. You know, you'd, you'd kind of take that because sometimes you, you just assume you're going to get smashed by those sort of teams, um, especially after the Tottenham game. Especially after the Tottenham game, yeah, uh, and the the sort of string of errors, just individual errors that Town had, had choked up like before that, but oh, it was just it was just a sensational performance. It was it was just complete from from the first whistle to the final whistle, and you know, it was the perfect oh. response to what had come before. If we're sort of we're questioning their ability to be switched on against a team, a team like Swansea and sort of get themselves you know, into a position to win that sort of a match. The fact that they managed to to turn it around and, and get them not get themselves up for because they would have been up for it anyway, but sort of be in the mental state to win a game like that after the run they've been on is it's testament to sort of the spirit and the belief within the team, regardless of what's come previously. Absolutely, and it's it's also that that was Huddersfield Town's defence at their best. That's what we saw for most of last season. That's what we've we saw at the start of this season, and it it just shows that you know the individual errors that have been occurring sort of reasonably frequently are just sort of anomalies. We've just seen sort of a bunch of them, and hopefully Town can get back to putting that sort of defensive performance in every week because it was just it wasn't even that Manchester United had a load of chances they were just they just didn't really create anything apart from the the Lukaku cross for for Rashford's goal which was superb there wasn't really that many chances and when they did get a shot in goal you know the Zanka block I've seen multiple times it was just it it was everyone just putting their body on the line to to get those three points and creatively as well they they hurt they hurt Man United in pretty much the the Huddersfield Town way when Aaron Moy intercept uh, or sort of won took the, ball. the ball. Yeah, took the ball off Juan Mata high up the pitch. That is the classic gag and pressing system that that David Wagner wants to put in into place. And the Lauren de Poitre goal is one that we saw sort of in in pre season. Steve Mooney finished against Barnsley for the long ball from Jonas Lossel as well. Obviously, there was Victor Lindelof heading thin air, but. <laughs> It was still that is something that we have seen in the past. So it's not. It, ta- it was tactically. It was still. It was a, a tactical sort of play that we've seen Huddersfield Town use in the past. It wasn't just fluke, and it wasn't just Victor Lindelof messing up. It was, you know, it, it was a perfect performance from from the first whistle for me, and it and it was one that hopefully we can see again against the likes the other big teams that that come to the John Smith Stadium, and also the crowd gave them. Such a massive lift, lift because you, you touched on it before, but it was I think it was a record football crowd at the John Smiths, twenty four thousand four hundred twenty six people I want to say, including away fans, and the atmosphere would have given them maybe not a I mean it would have given them a boost anyway, but the last twenty minutes, the town fans sung their team in, into you know to the three points basically. For me, the most interesting thing for the game. Aside from everything you've touched on, the crowd and the atmosphere, I sit in the kiln bank and it was absolutely electric from first kick to last. Um, there's a few times you'll experience that sort of a, 
a mood in a football stadium of any size or you know a club of any repute it, it was really a, a special occasion to be part of especially being sat with with the fans as I do um but on the field the most impressive and the most interesting thing for me was the tactical change that David Wagner made that I think a lot of people have misinterpreted and misunderstood is he moved from the 4-2-3-1 and people had expected him when he did so to move to two at the top and he didn't. He went to 4-3-3 and played an extra man in the middle knowing that Manchester United are going to have to go through Nemanja Matic and Ander Herrera because Paul Pogba isn't there and they do not have the ability to link defence and attack without doing that. That's the similar sort of problems we find in Huddersfield's own 4-2-3-1 are exactly the same in Manchester United. The only difference is they've got a £90 million footballer normally who bridges that gap rather yeah. wonderfully. By dropping Hog and Moy back, this is where the misunderstanding, I think, comes from. People have said that Aaron Moy was playing number 10 and he, he wasn't. He was playing exactly the same position he normally does. If anything, the only position that changed most was Jonathan Hogg. If you actually look at their average positions on the field, Hogg splits the two centre-backs. Zanka goes back, but he goes a little, a little bit wider. Schindler does exactly the same. Hogg floats about five yards in front of him and doesn't really move for the rest of the game. Absolutely exceptional again, absolutely everywhere again. Protects that defence with absolutely everything. Another one of them who will, you know, do himself a mischief by putting in that level of effort every week, but it's indispensable at this level and it's something we said when he was missing at the start of the season we needed. What that allows is players like Moy and Williams to have the confidence of knowing that they do have defensive responsibilities as a two as they would do if they're playing 4 2 3 1, but because they've got that additional man behind them, they can go forward a bit more, they can break, they can push as Moy did when he attacked Matter, as Williams did countless times in the second half. Moy was clearly the the leader of that in the first half, and that's how the first goal came about. Williams, I think, took over a little bit in the second half when Moy's engine was going down a bit and, and he had a bit more left in the tank. It was such a good way of congesting the midfield and and it wasn't parking the bus but what they did was they played deeper and they allowed Manchester United onto them, knowing that in the past they've they've found a, a congested final third because they've had four players ready and waiting. And when you leave four players up the field, the other team leaves players up there as well because they don't want to be mm-hmm. understaffed in that area. But if you leave two wide men and, and drop them fairly deep too and you've only got Laurent Departure up there, Manchester United, a lot of the time, we're only having one or two centre-backs floating around with both Young and Valencia bombing on. And it was at that time when Huddersfield knew that Manchester United weren't defensively set, that they would press. So it wasn't a press all the time throughout the entire game. It was concentrated periods when they could see Manchester United were at their worst. They put them into areas where they had more men. They painted them into corners and they let them onto them. And then almost like a, a coiled spring, the more pressure Manchester United put on them, the faster they were to react and get out and that's where both goals came from that's exactly how they got the joy they did because it gave the defence extra options but it also gave the attack extra options do you think after that then after such a great performance against Manchester United do you mm. think that that's a system that Dave Wagner will play regularly or do you think it's one that he'll play against the sort of the teams that you expect to dominate possession and want to to sort of flood the midfield with it depends because there are going to be certain teams I think we're going to see it fairly soon when West Brom come that are going to give Huddersfield the ball. And you can't 
play that sort of system and, and adopt that sort of game plan against those teams because it'll just end up being nil nil mm-hmm. or they'll nick one on a set piece. But what about the likes of Southampton or I don't know one of those one of those clubs who maybe aren't in the big big six but you know are, are going to want to have the ball have a footballing philosophy rather than one of let's sit back and let you have the ball. I actually think at this level and with the players Huddersfield have there's clearly a lot more balance in that system. With the struggle to um, break teams down with a four-two-three-one, because the main number ten, Casey Palmer, is injured and Sabiri's not quite ready yet, even though he scored an absolute worldie yeah, against sure. Leeds United uh, in a reserve team game, there's clearly a a little bit of a, an issue in that system at present, just scoring goals and creating chances. But I think the, the the extra balance and the extra realness it gives the wide men as well to play in extra space. Mm-hmm. Tom Ince had his best game since the start of the season, I thought. Rajiv Van Leparo when he came on. It's a shame that Kachunga got hurt, but Van Leparo was 90% of getting to a complete performance. And that's not something you can often attribute to him because he often does as much silly things as he does brilliant. And there were one or two silly moments, don't get me wrong. There were a couple of times where he didn't give the pass he ought to or the final product wasn't there, which is a, a consistent issue with him, but should hopefully come at some point if he persists with it, which he clearly wants to. But defensively, he didn't give his men any time. He was one of the best pressers. And on the ball, he was absolutely sublime. Ashley Young had the mick taken out of him repeatedly. There was, there was one moment where I think he sized him down because he just flicked the ball past him and flew past him for a laugh. But equally, he has moments still where you know he's in the he's on the edge of his own box, and rather than hoofing it into Rose Ed, he decides to dribble towards his own goal line and get tackled. And it's like, Rajiv, please, if you stop doing those things, then you know there'll be far less of a split opinion about you because his upside is clear. And I actually think that system helped accentuate the best things about town far more than others did and because 4231 has become synonymous with them and we know that Jose Mourinho does a lot of situational training he uh, specialises in oppositional analysis that's where AVB started was his oppositional analysis so he put together dossiers and powerpoints on yeah. what the team did their the combinations who they passed to the most and all that sort of thing all the advanced metrics and everything that, that I use in some of the features I write is exactly the same that AVB was using before they became public knowledge but because he changed system Manchester United weren't entirely sure of what Huddersfield were doing and that's why they were able to be so effective so it is something that I, I think they should explore that middle three if they can continue to perform in that sort of a manner with Moy and Williams, the two prongs just ahead of Hogg, I think that's probably the best way to go. Because there's no point persisting with a system that doesn't work. And this whole thing about Aaron Moy playing 10 really sort of bugged me a little bit because he's, although he's got the ability to do it and we've seen do it for Australia and that's where he did really well in the A-League in, in Australia, he's half as effective as he is deeper. Um, and I think the real key to the success of that system was the fact that Aaron Moy wasn't actually touched. He was just given a different partner and Jonathan Hogg, if anything, was given a different role. Um, and that's what I really liked. And I think that that it, more than anything showed the intelligence and the adaptability of David Wagner. Because I think there were one or two that raised their eyeballs when he called himself the most adaptable man in the world in the press conference before the game. 
but he clearly had something up his sleeve before that, and and that's what it was. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. He's, he's shown that. Although he keeps saying that he'll never ever move from his philosophy, and he hasn't. He just he's shown that his philosophy can stay, but the formation can can change and can can adapt. So yeah, yeah. It can tweak. At the end of the day, formations are just numbers on a page, but the the way they can be illustrated on the field is the reason why we use them and everything. Mm-hmm. I think the mentality of it was very interesting because there has to be a certain level of confidence against a team like Manchester United to say, okay, you're going to be the team who rule possession and we're going to let you have that. In fact, we're going to let you have 80% of it or 78, whatever it was, that's close to that much, which is entirely diametrically opposed to what Huddersfield usually do. They're usually the ones with the foot on the ball the most. And there must be a confidence in, in Huddersfield and their own system and their own game plan to go... We'll give them the ball and we'll still be able to hurt them, and I think that's probably coming off the training product. Yeah, I think so. It, it, you know, t- we all know that Town like to keep the ball and they like to move it around and stuff. But I think when you get promoted to the Premier League, you understand that that it's not going to be as easy as it was in the Championship. Um, and you know, it, it's definitely something that they've worked on every week. I know David Wagner on on the Friday they do a specific training session for the match on the Saturday, so he'll set up a certain number of players in Manchester United's formation and get them to play in the Manchester United way. And then his first team will play against them in the way that they want to counter them. Um, so I think, you know, as we said before, it, it, the mentality, the the philosophy stays the same but the mentality changes and that is down to the preparation that David Wagner and Christoph Bueller put in before the game and Andrew Hughes, of course, as well. Um, but I would say I would highlight Christoph Bueller's role in the video analysis that we, we touched on before because, you know, the, the absolute attention to detail that they put into these games, that's what helps Town to win them and that's what that's why Town could play the way they did against Manchester United because they've been so well prepared. They understood what was going to come. They understood what role they were going to have to play and what each individual player was going to have to do during the game. That when it comes around to it, it's just solidly in there and you can just do it. Especially added to the motivation of playing Manchester United as well because, you know, let's face it, in the Premier League, every every player be be it a foreign player or, or one from the UK, wants to play against Manchester United. That's the, that's arguably the biggest club in football. <laughs> if we talk about individual players and who we'd bring out for players, we talked about the, the midfield, I think, enough. Um, the two that I personally will talk about on top of Van Lepara is Zanka and Christopher Lerva because previously they're the two that have maybe had a little more questions asked of them. I think Tommy Smith and Christopher Schindler have obviously picked up where they left off last season, uh, been fantastic and and really been leaders to the team uh, in an invaluable manner. I think Smith in a much more obvious way than Schindler does. He leads by example a lot more, whereas Smith is a bit more vocal and I think in the dressing room he has much more to say for himself than than he may have done before David Wagner came into the club. But with Lerva, I think him being dropped in favour of Malone for Swansea is something that really gave him a kick up the backside. I think the fact that Scott Malone didn't come in and wasn't the silver bullet many expected him to be was 
quite fulfilling because I think that's something that we repeatedly suggested was that it's it's a little bit simple to expect one small change like that mm. to affect the entire you know uh, the entire fate of the team really and it's a bit unfair on Scott Malone to put that much pressure on his shoulders as well because yeah. uh, it's his first Premier League start Lerva un- unbelievable against Manchester United hardly put a foot wrong was solid again I don't even think he got booked he was just entirely clean hard job as well on his hands with you know not unknown players against him to line up against I think a matter floated out there from time Makatarian and uh, yeah Rashford was flipping on wings and he had Valencia that plays most of his time as a winger ahead of him and he didn't really get forward much but he didn't have to because everything he did defensively was incredible that's where I would highlight the the back to basics thing that I mentioned before because there were multiple times he was under pressure and he got rid of the ball to whether it be to a man or not he got rid of it whereas before I think Town were dwelling on the ball too long and looking for passes and obviously his individual mistakes have been maybe the Harry Kane one he should have put his foot through and that kind of thing but I think just having a performance like that where all you need to do it's kind of like going back to sort of Sunday league football isn't it in a way when you know we our manager always used to say like if in doubt get it out that was kind of what it was like at one at, at certain points for the town game because they were under pressure for quite a lot of it and and when you've got Marcus Rashford who has pace to burn and and you know Martial and that coming at you you just need to get rid of the ball as quick as you can and that's what he did he stuck to the basics he did them perfectly and United didn't have any joy on that left-hand side. Uh, I think the cross uh, the cross for Rashford's goal came from Town's left, but that was kind of a breakaway, long ball over the top. There's nothing you can really do. One of that. very few times that Manchester United actually managed to get in behind Huddersfield. Yeah, and that was, and it wasn't even really a pass. It was all about Lukaku's pace really getting onto it and being able to deliver a superb cross. Having said that, I would also say that Tommy Smith had an outstanding game. He made Martial look look like a bit of a chump, really, in the first half before he got hauled off at half-time. You know, they had that that tasty bit of sort of handbags right at the start of the game, and I think that set the tone. That was, you know, Tommy Smith, obviously Martial had a little flick out of him, but Tommy Smith then sort of got up and got in his face a little bit and said, right, you can't do that to me, you know. You might play for Manchester United, but I'm not going to sit here and let you do that. That set the tone, especially as your captain doing that, that set the tone for the rest of the team. And then, you know, I've touched on, on Zanka's block before. And, and as you say, I think maybe there, were, there wasn't the question marks over Zanka that there were over Chris Lerver after the mistakes. But I, I think there say, were one or two grumbles in his department, not defensively, but people didn't like the fact that he was being over elaborate with his distribution yeah, yeah. and there was some overconfidence perhaps he was guilty of. And I think being able to show that in a in a game that required maturity and sticking to task, the fact that he was able to do that wonderfully and with Schindler getting booked so early as well, he, a lot of the time, would be the one that stepped out and made the initial tackle. Mm-hmm. The ones that Schindler usually was, he clearly saw that my partner's got a yellow, he can't do that, I'm going to take responsibility in this situation and that's not something he's had to do previously and he did it fantastically. The block, I thought, was Brilliant, obviously, but the fact that I think it was about 15, maybe 20 minutes from the end, he went down and he, he shouldn't have carried on that game because I think he was carrying something. I think he it was either a knock or a strain of something 
He did not look good whatsoever. They motioned as if, do you want to come off? Gave him the chance because they had one sub left, uh, which was eventually Mullen coming on because he's a bit taller than Ince. Um, but he said no. And I watched him for the next five minutes and he was limping and he was clearly not happy. But he stayed on his feet and it was after that that the block came and it was during that period that Manchester United really had their most sustained pressure and it was the most sustained pressure where Huddersfield were dropping deeper because they were having to protect the lead and they were eventually having to protect a, a smaller margin of a lead than they, they had been previously. And he just he seemed to be able to play himself out of the injury and put himself before the team in a way that he hadn't he hadn't had to previously but showed that the commitment to the cause and then when the full whistle went, he was down on his ass again because he was playing on a leg that couldn't support his weight any longer. Yeah. So I think well, that's, that was an illustration of why he's a, a legend at Copenhagen. Exactly, I was going to say that's why he's he's such a fan favourite in Copenhagen. And if he continues to do stuff like that, he's going to be a fan favourite at Huddersfield Town because a lot of the fans would would do anything to to be able to play for the club if if they could do anything off the pitch that would make the club you know be successful they do it they you know the the cowshed loyal doing all their kind of stuff and and just the atmosphere that they've brought to the premier league you know it, they do it all all they can and i think to see a player doing all that they can literally putting their body on the line for the cause you know it it just makes it makes you feel like that that they understand the club and that that the, you know they will give it all for the cause as the fans do as well and that's what Zanka showed last game and to be honest that's what he showed most of the season so far and I just hope his performances continue to be as good um, and you know maybe we'll be raving about him as well as Christopher Schindler like we have been in the past few games uh, later on in the season. What did you make to the wider reaction to the result because obviously with the coverage we've done and the fans and everything within the town, it's focusing on how well Huddersfield have played on a, on a more national level and even internationally, it's sort of why you have Manchester United failed. And uh, yeah, sort if, I have of... to, if I have to read any more about Mourinho and stuff like that, <laughs> performance, like it was, I don't know, it's I understand that Manchester United is a global, global brand and yeah. that's what shifts papers, it's what people click on online and that kind of stuff, so that's what people. I say people. That's what more people want to talk about Manchester United than they do Huddersfield Town. But I, maybe if I just if I boil it down to match of the day, that kind of showed what it was. They gave Town credit, but for me, that the game that we that I watched match of the day should have been very much look at what Huddersfield Town are doing here. Look at the the press that they had on the ball. Look at this. Look at that. Look at X, Y, and Z. Manchester United, yeah, they had a, an, probably an off day, but they had an off day because Huddersfield Town wanted it more than them, as Mourinho said. But it ended up being quite a lot of, oh, United, look at what United are doing. They're doing this wrong, they're doing this wrong. When, when actually they were being forced to do things incorrectly because of Huddersfield Town's high press. And, you know, as much as it was a poor performance from United, for me, it was it was just a better performance by Huddersfield Town. It was, a, it was slightly condescending, isn't it, when people... Uh... People think that results more to do with how bad Manchester United were rather than how good Huddersfield were. And the way they discuss Huddersfield's performance often is what annoys me the most because they clearly don't 
pay enough attention to how the victory actually came about. So they end up falling into the realms of cliche and saying things like that Huddersfield made it uncomfortable for them by kicking them and sitting deep and make it sound as if it was sort of an old school, you know, diving into legs and, you know, last block ditching for 90 minutes and, and all that sort of nonsense when it wasn't in the slightest and that's a an unfair and inaccurate representation of how the match actually went and how Huddersfield actually play football. I think it doesn't help the fact that we're a, a smaller northern side and people in the broadcast media are usually from the south and have a misconception maybe and, and a, you know have an idea already in their minds that that's the rough and ready football we play up here for some reason. I mean, Huddersfield aren't the the nicest team in the world to play against. Nobody's pretending as if they don't press, but this isn't Sam Allardyce's Bolton. You know, it's it's not a team that go out with the intention to hurt or anything. It's controlled aggression and, you know, high pressing in a manner that other teams do. And, you know, when Manchester City do it or when Tottenham do it or... You know, even when Chelsea have done it last season, nobody goes, oh, it's because they're playing dirty or they're doing this. They're, they're given the the respect of having their tactics acknowledged. And for a team as small as Huddersfield, that doesn't seem to be the case, which is a shame. But perhaps if this isn't just a one-off, this is a the first of a few big wins. And, you know, big teams realise that Huddersfield are a team that are easy to play against and Huddersfield know that they're probably going to have a better time of it against better teams because there's actually going to be football to be played there, then maybe the, the narrative will shift slightly. But it's one of those things that I think, having not experienced that from this perspective previously, it's one thing that I've found you know, really difficult to get on board with is the fact that somebody will be happy to go plucky little Huddersfield and defended for 90 minutes and managed to fluke a win when... Yeah, I, I can see where you're coming from, but personally, as much as it is annoying and, and you know, it, it does You're used frustrate. to supporting a bad team, obviously. <laughs> what? I'm sorry, that, that, that's unnecessary. <laughs> I apologise. Uh, as much as it, it, it does get annoying and people say this and that, does anyone really care? They don't really don't. care that much. I do. When you beat Man United two one, people can say whatever the whatever they like, whatever the heck they want. Yeah. Well, because edited. because you know, as as we said last season, as most fans would say this season, just keep keep writing Huddersfield off. You know, keep saying that they're going to kick people. Keep saying that they're going to do this. They're going to do that. They're going to get loads of yellow cards. If you know, if people want to think that, then fine. Because I think Huddersfield Town have proven that the underdog tag doesn't put them off it probably makes them play even better as we've seen in last season and and last weekend so you know it it gets frustrating that they don't get highlighted as much as as they probably should on on things like match of the day and that kind of stuff but you know people can say what they want can't they as long as uh, as long as Huddersfield Town get the points and stay in the Premier League and then you know they'll have to reassess at some point won't they I agree um if we move on to club news with a couple of bits of tidying to do after the Manchester United game, I think the biggest piece of news is that David Moss has departed. He's, gone, yeah. uh, he's been at the club five months, uh, which isn't an awful long, awfully long time if I speak English properly. Uh, so he's sort of come as soon as he's 
gone as soon as he's come, sorry. Um, is there any reason the club have given whatsoever? No reason whatsoever. I, I imagine it's probably some. he's probably been poached or something like that. When we spoke to the club, I believe they said it was nothing sinister and that it's just a simple case of him not having um, fit in and, and the role not having worked out in the manner they'd previously envisioned. I think that's probably quite a... Political. Yeah, a tactical answer. It, it's kind of like... I just heart back to when Stuart Webber left and he got put on gardening leave and this and that and, you know, he... he he got poached by Norwich. That's what happened. Gardening <laughs> leave, by the way, is the biggest racket in the world. No matter what trade you're in, I'd love a bit of gardening leave me. <laughs> Just full pay. Full, full pay. <laughs> Go, you, your punishment is that we're going to pay you <laughs> what you're owed to do absolute sod all. Put me on gardening leave for as long as you... I'll do it for the rest of my career. <laughs> That's a side chat there. But um, the other thing I thought of and, um, and sort of from a sideways angle perhaps, just knowing sort of what HR departments are like and that, he's probably coming up to a six-month probation period where one of the other, you know, one of the two of them can go, oh, have you settled in? Do you, want, do you fancy or whatnot? And then yeah, do you want maybe. To take this over? Maybe. The club have been, you know, they've told us that he's gone, that's about it. So I think anybody's guess is as good as anyone else's. Um, I, I mean, the statement just, they put out on the website is two lines long, and one of the lines is "We wish him well in the future." Yeah, and the other is "He's left." So <laughs> there's not many lines to read between where this is concerned. Exactly. Either. I just, I just think this the state of, or, or not the state, of, but football in general, it, it, it's one of those sort of professions, I guess, where people move around all the time and yeah there's a high turnover yeah there's a high turnover and, and people just bounce around from place to place so that's the only reason that I would think maybe he's going to go somewhere else but you know that that is complete conjecture I, I don't know at all and, and as I said before anyone's guess is as good as each other's but yeah, he seems to have done his job pretty well since he's been here as well he seemed like a decent replacement for Stuart Webber so do you think we may have placed too much importance on his involvement in the signings in the summer or do you think he did that job and then consequently something's happened or what can we say because uh, still in hindsight the the business and the players that Sam brought in the summer you still can't fault yeah so I'm not sure if there's there's any reason to to think that may have tainted things or all no I don't I just think I, I, I personally would think that he's just had a better offer or, or he hasn't settled or something like that I don't think it's anything about the job that he's done um, I think it was I, I read that it was his he brought up Steve Mounier for the first time. That seems to be quite a good a good uh, <laughs> name, like getting two goals on, on your debuts. Not bad, is it, really, in the Premier League? So, no. Uh, no, it's just one of those things, isn't it, really? The club are looking for a, a new man, so obviously... I've it's... got my CV ready, mate, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not football manager. I'm terrible at that as well. So. Yeah, but... If towns suddenly have a sudden downturn in form, you know it's because somebody's made the error of giving a raw, raw, raw job of yeah, head yeah. of football, <laughs> head of footballing operations. Actually, so. <laughs> either way, you're not getting a Get job. <laughs> um, the other piece of news is that the possible TV share, what have you, has yeah, yeah. been given the predictable kibosh. The boot. Yeah, what's that all about? Basically, the top six wanted 35% of all of the new overseas TV deal money, which comes in in 2019. Um, currently, the teams get an even share, so it works out at, at 5% each. 
Um, so they want an extra 5% to share between the six of them because they have a bigger draw, especially with overseas money. Um, 5% each extra? No, 5% to share between the six of them extra. Which doesn't sound like much. How much does it work out to be? 5% is £39 million a year per club. Okay. So you're adding another 39 between six. So, so six they want point, the 40 odd million between three or something. Okay. 6.3 million each, yeah. Right. Um, but that would also then detract from the money that other teams got as well. So Yeah. Um, yeah, and it, they had a, their discussions about it last month uh, and they postponed them because they didn't have enough um, support. They needed two thirds of the Premier League teams to, to back them. So I think there's like 13 or 14 teams. Uh, that didn't happen and they were supposed to have more talks tomorrow but they still don't have the support so the the Premier League has scrapped uh, the talks and it looks like it's not going to happen now which is good for Huddersfield Town obviously because if they can stay in the league for two more years when the new deal comes in it's going to be a massive deal because of uh, the likes of Netflix and that coming in for the to, to sort of challenge Sky and BT who've pretty Amazon, much a, Facebook and, and exactly. Twitter you already watch uh, baseball and NFL and wrestling I think I think I've seen golf and there's all sorts of sports that you find on yeah. platforms that you wouldn't have expected previously exactly and and because the market's getting so much bigger in the US and China the, the money's just going to be ma- like it's going to be £39 million pounds Per year currently, you know, you, I would not be surprised if that doubled next time. Um, and you know, 70 odd million pounds is not a bad amount of money for Huddersfield Town. So, uh, let's hope that they can stay in the league for a couple more seasons and, and at least get one season of this massive TV money. Can I share with you my pet hate about broadcasting rights? Yes, you can. It's that the Premier League don't have their own streaming platform. I think I know, it's, it's ridiculous. It's it? one of the stupidest things in all of sport is that the Premier League is probably by far they've just sold away all of their own rights. The most popular worldwide league, individual league mm-hmm. to watch, and they are not making as much money as possible and actually making it harder for the consumer to interact with their product by using what is essentially a an archaic model of selling broadcasting rights. Um, it's money, isn't it, though? It's money, but if they were to take a... The example I always give is the NBA's League Pass because it's the one that I subscribe to every year and I think it's absolutely NFL fantastic. Passes, yeah. NFL has one as well. I, I think the MLB were actually the first ones to do this. I think for the first few seasons of other teams, people actually licensed the MLB software to use because there was... a so far ahead of everyone else's, but everyone's caught up. Essentially, what the leagues do is, in their own collective bargaining, in a similar way to the discussion you're just talking about now, they own their own rights and look after themselves. So they have their own app um, where all the games go on. You play a fat, uh, a flat fee of £200 a year. If you just take that as a sort of an arbitrary amount, uh, you get to watch any game you want, whenever you want, stream it whenever you want, on any device you want, anywhere. It's 2017, that should be a thing anyway. The fact that we've still got a 3pm block on a Saturday is ridiculous because people, you ask a town fan whether or not if they can stream a game on their phone means they're not going to go down to John Smith for a season is ridiculous. It's just not a question. Mm-hmm. Even lower league fans, if when Huddersfield were in League One or the Championship, there aren't fans who are going to stay at home because they can watch Man United on their phones. It's just not a thing anymore. That rule came in when televisions were brand new and people were sat in front of it thinking where's the magic man on the telly coming from and we've slightly evolved beyond that now 
um, the fact that our laws haven't changed in kind is a poor reflection of our own adjustment to modern times, essentially. I've worked it out previously and I've written about it previously for those places and the maths actually works out that if the Premier League take a small hit, set up their own platform, obviously it's going to take some capital to put the infrastructure in place to... I don't think the Premier League is struggling for capital though. Exactly, they're sat on the, the biggest war chest going. Take a, you know, even half a percent off that, they can build themselves a a more than functionable platform. They can even license it off other places if they wanted to. BT's enhanced player is fantastic. Pay them for it and use them um, and change the relationship the other way around. And if they sold that per household, I'm speechless because people would buy that wherever they are. You think for every single individual American that would buy it, not just per household, because you if you've got one skybox, you watch the games on the one skybox, everyone sits around it. If you sell these packages, everyone's going to have one each because you can watch it wherever you want. You can be sat on the bus watching a game, watching highlights the next day and everything. Everyone in the family, you've got brothers and your dad, you'd all have one yourself because what's 200 quid a season? If you think about how much Sky and BT costs, it's what, 30 quid a month for BT and then upwards of 80 for Sky maybe? That's 110 quid combined a month. If you just got 200 a season, all of you are going to chip in because it's ridiculous. And because they cut out the third parties, because they cannot use their own advertisement on top of it, because essentially it becomes an in-house project, they make more money anyway. And that's based off their own viewing figures. So the fact that they're cutting off the nose to spite their face because it's easier just to take money from other people rather than actually do their own thing just proves that the Premier League aren't as smart as they think they are because they really need to catch up with the times. That is my own pet peeve. As you can tell, it's something Thanks. I've spent an awful lot of time <laughs> thinking about uh, because... I don't understand why... You're going to show me the slides next time? Yeah, I'll, I'll bring everything across. I've actually got a, a you know a full PowerPoint that I've arranged to send to Richard Scudamore. He won't answer yeah. my phone calls. Star swipes and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, I'm just going to start tweeting at him soon. Obscenities and things. Just... I'm pretty sure he doesn't have a Twitter account. Probably a good thing. <laughs> uh, but that's everything for, for this week. Apologies for the slight deviation, but if Huddersfield do stay in the Premier League as we think they are going to, then... This is going to start becoming a concern for town fans. Bear P. Yep. More money, more... Was it more money, more problems? Yes. Exactly. In the immortal words of uh, Notorious B.I.G. But if we move on, we'll come back on Thursday, press conference to talk about, yep. Liverpool to talk about. We'll try and get over one of our colleagues from the Echo to have a word about why they can't defend and how Tottenham took the mick out of them because I'm sure that's something they want to talk to me about. Yeah, I think that's, uh, you know... It's happened to both teams, so... Uh, in, uh, <laughs> in a very that. different manner, though. I think Tottenham were very good against Huddersfield, and I think Liverpool were very bad against Tottenham. Yeah. Well, when your centre-back gets hauled off after 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, but we'll speak to you again on Thursday. Yeah, speak to you then. Nu 2 gig data met een 0 minuten bel- en sms-bundel voor maar 9 euro per maand. Omdat het kan. Check tele2.nl voor de beste deal voor jou. Niet omdat het moet, maar omdat het kan.